now bracing for an entertainment incursion. Rolling Rockabilly Track Gearing you up with the latest in horror, video games, movies, and TV, now synthesizing vile of ooze. Nerds, this will be your finest hour. Welcome to the Amazing Nerd Show. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. All right, on this week's podcast, we've got a film review for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem. And of course, we also have all your latest news and rumors in Nerdum. Plus our AEW Weekend Review. Also, if that's not enough show for you, make sure to stop by our Patreon, where you can not only help support our show, but also get bonus content like our Best and Worst of the Week show, which we now have over 30 episodes up on our Patreon. Plus, our top-tier patrons also get bonus episodes and countdowns like our Better Late Than Never review of Black Mirror Season 6 and Worst Star Wars Moments of the Disney Plus Era. So, after the show, make sure to head on down to our show notes and find the link to our Patreon, or simply type in patreon.com slash amazing. Nerd Show. Oh, and one more thing. You can find The Amazing Nerd Show now on Threads. If you use the social media site, make sure to give us a follow to stay up to date with all things ANS. But all right, with that said, let's get into the news. Every week we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters, we're mere podcasters with opinions. Warning, potential spoilers for upcoming shows and movies ahead. Check timestamps to avoid spoilers. You have been warned. So first, we've got a huge rumor for the upcoming Ahsoka series. A rumor coming from MakingStarWars.net claims the Ahsoka series will feature a battle with Anakin as Ahsoka imagines or has a vision of what would have happened if she had been there by Obi-Wan's side during the Battle of Musafar in Revenge of the Sith. The source goes into heavier spoiler details here, claiming the set actually had a dummy for dead Obi-Wan, along with an alternative take that they were going to do where Obi-Wan would just become a pile of clothes like in A New Hope, though that wouldn't really make that much sense because Obi-Wan wouldn't have learned that skill yet, but it's a force vision, I can't, you know, be picky. So anyway, uh, they continue by claiming the scene isn't a full-fledged sequence, and that audience should probably keep their expectations low, as it may just be a flash of a couple moments from a fight rather than a full fighting sequence. But we'll be seeing this shortly as Ahsoka debuts August 23rd. Yeah, we've heard for quite some time now that uh, Hayden Christensen has been rumored to be part of the show Mm -hmm. in some capacity. Um, Now, I don't know if this is what they were talking about or if we're going to be getting multiple scenes like this, like in the form of visions. Although I will say, like, if this is like pre-armor, I hope that they, you know, break out that de-aging technology. (laughs) Uh, Because it was a little jarring during that Obi-Wan series when we had that flashback. Uh-huh. Um, between uh, <laughs> that training session between him and Obi-Wan. I mean, hey, I mean, time stops for no one, right? Uh, but, uh, I mean, it's a cool concept. I'm all for it. I just kind of hope it's a situation where she's, like, haunted by, like, visions throughout the series of Vader. Um, I think that'd be kind of cool. And it's not just, like, one little quick, like, one-off moment. Because the initial rumor we heard was that, you know, he had a bigger part in the series. Uh, than just some brief little, you know, cameo. But who knows? I mean, things change. I mean, that was quite a while ago that we heard that rumor. I mean, probably over a year ago. So um, they might have, you know, shot some shit and decided not to, you know, include it in the series. I mean, honestly, I could watch an entire episode based off just that concept alone. Like, I would love to know that what if scenario of if Soka was there next to Obi-Wan. Yeah, I mean, that's a cool idea. Uh, I'm more thinking of like Force Nightmares. Like, just, you know, like, 
kind of similar to the sequence we got in Empire where Luke fights Vader on Dagobah. Like, give me a whole episode of just, you know, Ahsoka being haunted by different, you know, visions of Vader. Exactly. As long as it's not done in a way where this is her back to tank, you know, uh, like we got in um, Book of Boba Fett, you know, where we don't see her doing this over and over again throughout the entire thing. Yeah, I mean, make it cool. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my issue with the back to tank was the nonlinear storytelling that they were trying to do. It just caused the, the series to lose so much momentum. Um, so I feel like this is a completely different thing. If they do what, you know, my headcanon <laughs> has played out for them, obviously. That's, of course, if they actually do any of this. Uh, this is just us fantasy booking right uh -huh. now. But anyway, moving on, it looks like we have some more rumored delays coming to the MCU. During an earnings call this past Wednesday, Disney excitedly showed off their key upcoming shows and films, but strangely enough, the Echo series and Deadpool 3 were both notably missing from this report. Echo is supposed to be released on November 29th after Loki Season 2 and dropped all at once instead of doing a weekly episode, while Deadpool 3 was set for May 3rd, but both definitely have the potential of being delayed now. But no official announcement has been made by Disney or Marvel. I mean, I'll wait to really react until they actually make the official announcement, but usually where there's smoke, there's fire. Um, you know, with Loki and Ahsoka, like those series sell themselves, where I could see them being a little more hesitant with Echo, just like dropping it cold without any like, you know, without a proper like PR campaign mm -hmm. behind it and having the actors go out and really, you know, promote the series and what it's all about. Especially since the release is going to be more unorthodox compared to like how Marvel, you know, in the past has, you know, released their series on Disney Plus. Um, now, with Deadpool 3, like they moved up that film, you remember? Yes. Like uh -huh. they pushed everything else back and then <laughs> Significantly. moved Deadpool 3 up. Because at the time we we're like, what are they thinking? Like, why would they move it up when it obviously looked like you know, the strikes were on their way. I, I, I mean, it is what it is. You reap what you sow. You know, I, I keep on saying this every podcast, but I don't feel bad for the studios. Uh -huh. I mean, it sucks for us, but if it's in the name of the actors and writers getting what they deserve, it is what it is. And again, I, we still don't know if they have, like, because like we were talking about with Loki season two, we were like, when are they going to start promoting it? And then out of nowhere, it just dropped a trailer. So maybe there's something for Echo on the way that we just don't know. Uh, who knows? Yeah, like like I said, I mean, I'll wait till the official announcement mm -hmm. comes out. I mean, that's scheduled for Thanksgiving, right, Echo? Yes. Now, we're recording this on Thursday, but I believe we heard that the unions are supposed to be meeting with the studios uh, and reopen talks. And they're actually supposed to be like headed to like the bargaining table on Friday. Um, so hopefully something comes of that, but I'm not going to hold my breath because the last we heard, they were rather far apart. Yeah, I don't think anything good's going to come out of this weekend. So speaking of Deadpool 3, uh, there was a rumor going around this week that the main villain of the film is Cassandra Nova. Uh, she'll be played by Emma Corwin, who was casted a while back. For those who aren't familiar with Nova, uh, she's actually Professor X's twin sister who tried to murder him in the womb. She was actually first introduced in Grant Morrison's new X-Men. 
which is a great run. I definitely recommend checking it out. Um, it actually revitalized uh, the X-Men comic book, which was actually kind of growing stale at the time. In the first issue that she's in, uh, she actually ends up murdering like all of Genosha, which is like a mutant safe haven that has, I, I believe it was like a million or so mutants. Um, you know, Magneto's in charge of the island. Um, it's a hell of an introduction. Um, she truly is like a vile villain. Um, later on, they kind of like retcon a bunch of stuff. Kind of, I don't know, muddy the waters with Morrison's run a little. But that initial story arc that introduces her is, like I said, just fantastic. So uh, I definitely recommend checking that out and all of Morrison's run on New X-Men. Um, now, it's definitely an interesting choice to have her like as the main villain of Deadpool 3. Um, I could see Wade having a lot of fun uh, with her origin story since it's so like off the wall if they actually choose to use her comic book origin story. Um, now, there's a lot of rumors swirling around that the story of Deadpool 3 is actually like Deadpool kills the Marvel Universe, but it'll actually be like, you know, the Fox Marvel Universe. Um, so I could see Cassandra playing a big part of that. So I don't know. I mean, it's definitely an interesting choice. Also, speaking of Deadpool 3, a major rumor came out just now of a list of cameos for the film. According to the Diz Insider, Taron Egerton, who was once rumored to be the MCU's Wolverine, will be playing a Wolverine variant in the film, which feels similar to what they did with John Krasinski as Reed Richards in the Multiverse of Madness. Um, the list also includes a lot of returning Fox stars like Ian McKellen as Magneto, Brian Cox as William Stryker, Halle Berry as Storm, Famke Jensen as Jean Grey, Daphne Keene as X-23, Rebecca Romaine as Raven, and of course Patrick Stewart as Professor X. But the film will also have additional characters, variants, and already established MCU characters like Owen Wilson as Mobius, Tom Hilson as Loki, Louis Tan as Shatterstar, Channing Tatum as Gambit, Ben Affleck as Daredevil, along with Jennifer Garner as Elektra. Elizabeth Olsen is also apparently back for Wanda Maximoff. Taylor Swift will apparently be Dazzler. Tara Strong will be voicing Miss Minutes, of course. And they also claim that Julian McMahon will be returning as Doctor Doom from the Fox Fantastic Four films, of course. A lot of these names have been rumored by multiple sources at this point, but putting them all together just kind of makes this film sound absolutely insane. I mean, that's not even including Deadpool's already, you know, cast of pals from his previous films, from Dupinder to Negasonic Teenage Warhead, you know, that we've already heard will be a part of this. So this should be an epic send-off to the Fox universe. Hopefully it doesn't get delayed into oblivion as we just stated though. Anyway, sticking with the MCU, looks like we have some more casting news for the upcoming Daredevil Born Again series. According to industry insider Daniel RPK, actor Margarita Laviva has been casted to play Matt Murdock's love interest Heather Glenn for Daredevil Born Again. The character debuted in 1975's Daredevil 126 as the daughter of Maxwell Glenn, who in the comics owned Glenn Industries and was later put under the control of Purple Man, which led to an unfortunately dark fate for both him and later his daughter. Yeah. I mean, this is a fucked up storyline. Uh, <laughs> maybe they're using her in place of Karen Page, who in hmm. the Born Again comic book is the catalyst for the events that take place. 
Um, you know, there's a whole storyline where she's like a heroin addict and becomes like a porn star. And I believe she sells like uh, Daredevil's identity uh, to someone. Uh, so, I mean, it's a whole thing. Like, it's a <laughs> fucked up storyline. <laughs> uh, but but Glenn's story is pretty messed up also. Um, now, if I remember correctly, she she gets into a relationship with Matt after he brings down her father who's being manipulated by purple man um and her father ends up like killing himself so there's a lot of tension there and she kind of blames matt for her father's death um but they end up getting engaged anyway it's weird um and then uh she takes control of her father's company but then she's being manipulated by criminals so then matt like is forced to bring her corporation down but foggy and black widow believe that he's not doing everything that he could to like you know save her business and they kind of accuse him of using the situation to kind of manipulate and control her i believe this all takes place after electra dies so he's kind of traumatized but they don't try to like sugarcoat any of this in the comic like matt straight up looks like a bad guy here <laughs> But the relationship becomes so toxic that Foggy and Black Widow come up with a plan to uh, break them up by writing letters, like fake letters to each other, like some straight like Romeo and Juliet like shit. <laughs> and then like later on down the line, she ends up like uh, also committing suicide. I mean, it's some dark shit and it doesn't paint Matt in a really good light at all and i don't think they ever did a storyline to kind of retcon and like redeem matt afterwards it's something i know that still like haunts matt in the comics to this day so i think they just recently brought it up um again that's so, so great like i can't imagine like wanting to pick up a daredevil book and then getting lost in this like telenovela of, uh -huh. of events here <laughs> i mean it was incredibly like before it's time back then because you're, you're thinking like it's I believe this is happening in the early 80s um like i know the character was introduced in the 70s but i believe the storyline where all this shit goes down is like the early 80s so um it's it's really edgy for its time mm -hmm. uh, so maybe and this is just me speculating they're using this as like a substitute storyline for like the Karen Page of it all. Um, I don't know. Well, I, I, we'll just have to wait and see. When I saw that, you know, Purple Man was a part of her father's history, I was like, oh, maybe there's a chance that this is also a connection for Jessica Jones if they wanted to like s lightly put in that storyline with Purple Man somehow Bring existing in the MCU. Man? That'd yeah. be fantastic. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be opposed to that at all. Uh, but I mean, like, we're just speculating right now. Ooh, I mean, oh who yeah. the hell knows? <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, I don't think they would use that character and all the baggage she brings from, like, the source material if they weren't going to use it somehow. Um, like, I don't think it's going to be just some fun little Easter egg because, mm -hmm. I mean, that's morbid and fucked up, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, we'll have to wait and see. I, I just like... Like, from what we've heard, you know, Karen Page is not in this series. And I don't know if it was just a situation where they thought it'd be too jarring to recast the character. Um, 
you know, they're trying to kind of like keep this a like soft reboot. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like having your cake and eat it too. Um, and if they, you know, were in a situation where they had to recast Karen, it would be obviously just a straight reboot um, and tell this story. And they also might be worried too of like fan backlash, you know, you know, especially from fans of the Netflix series who don't necessarily know the original Born Again storyline. You know, for them to all of a sudden take Karen Page and put her on this dark path, you know, they might end up revolting. <laughs> Be like, what the hell are you doing? But anyway, moving on, it's time for our weekly Fantastic Four casting update. Looks like Adam Driver is back on the shortlist for Mr. Fantastic, according to Daniel Richman, who claims while the original script did not interest Driver, the new one being written by Joss Friedman has renewed Driver's interest in the role. Last week, we heard that Matt Smith was approached by Marvel for the role, all before the strikes, of course, but perhaps they will close a new deal with Driver instead, if either rumor is to be true. Christian, I, I just can't bring myself to care about this story anymore. I mean, <laughs> I'm excited for this film, but holy shit. All this on again, off again, like, oh, my God. You know, I, until the strike is over, too, it doesn't matter because they can't uh-huh. put pen to paper. You know, no one can sign on to anything until the strike's done. So I don't know, man. I feel like we're just going to be treading water until then. You know, with, We haven't even gotten like. We haven't even solidified like who they're looking at for villains you know like there's so many roles that could still fill out <laughs> i don't know i'm just done talking about this i mean because uh. you remember originally too there was the possibility of driver playing uh dr doom like that was the the original yeah. rumor i believe so whatever i mean it is what it is I, you know like talk to me when you actually have a, a cast solidified for this project <laughs> and then i'll get excited but anyway, up next, we've got some Sony Marvel news in the form of Venom 3 cast. We learned not that long ago that Chai Wattel Eofor was casted for Venom in an undisclosed role, and now industry insider Daniel Richmond claims Chai Wattel will be playing the villain Orwell Taylor, who in the comics has a vendetta against Eddie because Eddie killed his son. While this hasn't been confirmed by Sony just yet, that character description sounds pretty similar to, you know, some of the roles we've seen Shai Wattel in originally, as at the end of Doctor Strange, Mordo was definitely going on a revenge, you know, kick there. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's doing a similar role here for Venom 3, which is set for summer 2024 currently. So Orwell's first appearance is in the Venom Lethal Protector series. Um, actually issue number one, which I read and own, but I don't remember this storyline whatsoever, I'll be honest. Uh, but apparently <laughs> it's a very 90s book. Um, you know, Eddie's rocking a mullet. It's a whole thing. But uh, Orwell's son dies. He's not a younger kid or anything like that. He's older. I believe he was in the military. Um, but Venom kills him. Uh, so then Orwell's out for revenge. Uh, he enlists a bunch of his son's ex-military buddies, and he supplies them with a bunch of large weapons and armor, because once again, it's the 90s, so that's what they did in the 90s. And they start a group called The Jury. Um, and that's pretty much it. Like, I remember the jury of it all, but I don't remember Orwell. So, but it was a long time ago. <laughs> um... The only way I was going to actually care about Venom 3 was if uh, Shai Wattel, and I'm, I apologize if I'm butchering his name, was playing Mordo. And this was like a multiverse, you know, film. 
uh, you know, which which we're actually thinking could be a possibility after the way uh, No Way Home ended. Um, you know, seeing part of the you know suit left over at the bar when you know Eddie jumps back to his you know universe. So, but apparently that's not what's happening here. So, I just don't care. No, the MCU is smart enough not to just just to completely keep this version of Eddie away. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame them. I don't blame them. But I mean, our only hope here is they take the leftover piece of the symbiote and. You know, they choose to do Venom proper in the MCU. Uh, we see, like, you know, the MCU's version of Eddie Brock, and they can kind of retell that story the right way, you know, revolving around Peter. But otherwise, I just, I could care less about Venom at this point. But anyway, up next, it looks like we have an update of sorts on the possibility of a Prey sequel. Dan Trechenberg, director of the Predator prequel Prey, has claimed he's been in several conversations to develop a sequel to the film. Having had meetings with Hulu and continuous conversations with the writers and producers of the film, it seems that a sequel may be plausible. However, Trechenberg refused to comment on whether or not it would actually be something that would go straight to streaming or a theatrical film. Screw that i mean if they're if they're gonna do a sequel it needs to go straight to the theaters uh they need to do like a, a double bill with you know prey like the, the original <laughs> film because i mean it's still ridiculous to me that that film never never was on the big screen so um you know i love the movie uh it deserves a theatrical release uh and you know i'm excited for the possibility of a sequel I mean, with the way the film ended, they were definitely setting up something for the future. So, mm. and it'd be cool to get uh, Amber Mythunder back to uh, reprise her role because I don't think we've ever seen like a protagonist return to a Predator film, right? Like in any, in any of the sequels, because no. Arnold never came back. No, uh, Danny Glover sure the hell didn't come back, right? Uh, and it gets a little more murky for me with the you know later sequels, uh, but yeah, I mean. There could be a really cool story here. Now I'm afraid Arnold's going to show back up. <laughs> I'm really surprised that that hasn't happened. Mm. I'm sure there must have been talks or offers made because that just feels like, you know, a studio's wet dream. I mean, God knows they got him back for Terminator multiple times, right? Multiple times. So Insane. it must have been a money thing. I, I don't know. That's weird. That's weird that he never returned to Predator. All right, last but not least, we got a story about A24's latest hit, Talk To Me. The Filippo brothers will be back at it with a sequel to their film, Talk To Me, as Bloody Disgusting reports that the duo is working with their writer, Bill Hinsman, to continue the story. Talk To Me, which was made for about 4.5 million, has had a successful return in 26 million, along with critical praise, which just makes this all prime for a franchise. Yeah, I mean, I... I reviewed the film last week. Um, I thought it was fantastic. I think it has tons of potential for a sequel. I love the idea that the original creators are coming back. I heard that they actually already shot a prequel to the film. I don't know if it was just oh, like a okay. short film or something. And not to spoil anything, but I guess it was all about the two characters that they have in the very beginning of the film. Um, like their story, what led up to that moment. Um, trying not to give anything away, but I'm guessing that's something completely separate and different. Uh, I'm just wondering if we'll ever see that film. But like I was saying, there's tons of different routes that they can take the story. And I'm guessing if, you know, they've already shot a, a prequel of sorts, 
They probably already have ideas for the sequel in mind. And now for the nerds' review of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem, mild spoilers ahead. And now, our feature presentation. We're brothers. We fight together. We're just getting started. Yeah, she sounded like a leader. I do? Oh, I do! Oh, I sound like such a leader! And you ruined it. Ninja Turtles. Remember, don't let any human see you. The film follows the Turtle Brothers as they work to earn the love of New York City while facing down an army of mutants. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem is directed by Jeff Rowe and Kyler Spears and stars Micah Abbey, Shaman Brown, Nicholas Cantu, and Brady Noon. So in my opinion, Mutant Mayhem takes the story of the Turtles and really humanizes it as the film centers its story around what it means to be accepted. It's a lighthearted affair, perfect for the modern families going to see it. And while I feel like I definitely wasn't the film's target demographic, I still had fun seeing you know this new rendition of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. One of the things that was touted highly by the film's promotional material was how this young cast you know felt natural and had instant chemistry with one another. And I do agree with that. Our Teenage Turtles felt their age and felt like a genuine family unit. Master Splinter, though, this time around is a little bit more of a father and less of that you know mysterious Kung Fu master we've known him to be in the past. His story and characteristics seem to be one of the largest changes in lore that will definitely send this storyline and universe into a different direction than we've seen before. And while his origin story changing didn't bother me, his overall storyline felt a little 290s sitcom and or after school special for my liking. A lot of this story kind of has that same vibe, you know, its outcomes are very positive at every turn, and most things are resolved a little too easily in my opinion. But again, I don't think this was made for moviegoers like me. But while I say that, I keep comparing it to what I experienced with Across the Spider-Verse, as that film had this deep emotional storyline for Miles that is easy for anyone of any age to connect with. And I didn't get that here with what should have been kind of a deeper story with what it means to be accepted. It really felt like they kept taking the easy way out with a lot of their storytelling. You know, everything was made to be a little bit too lighthearted for its subject matter. You know, it brings me back to Spider-Verse because, I, you know, I feel like the animation and even the plot was very heavily inspired by what they were doing with those films. I just can't say that it hit me as hard as either Spider-Flicks. I did like the overall art design of this. Um, however, I wasn't a big fan of a lot of the humans' designs. They just kind of went with a lot of misshapen heads that just kept throwing me off and creeping me out a little bit. But I thought the mutants looked great, and I thought the action sequences um, earlier on in the film were very well handled. But I will say, and without getting into, like, big spoilers here the third act um with superfly you know our main villain just didn't really do much for me you know at this point in the film superfly is like probably at his strongest and i just never felt like the turtles were ever actually in danger during any of that you know i did like the introduction to superfly i thought he was a really cool character i liked ice cube in the role and he did feel dangerous when we first met him but by this point in the film, just nothing you know, made me feel like this is going to be a problem for them. Nor was the destruction he was causing really all that damaging it felt. 
you know, nothing left me on the edge of my seat for this conflict. So, you know, overall, I feel like there were decisions made to simplify and make this film as fun and family friendly as possible, which I was fine with. You know, I, I see people griping about a lot of the lore changes and character changes that we have seen, um, especially compared to like the early 2000s show. And that really doesn't bother me at all. You know, it's fine. It's a new generation. It's a new storyline. So why not change it up a bit? And while on a technical level, I think they achieved what they were going for and it really looked good. You know, it was a solid film overall, but the story just didn't hit home for me. And I didn't, you know, leave the theater with a connection to these characters in the same way that I have in a lot of other animated films that we've gotten over the last few years. So with that said, I'm going to be giving Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem a B minus. All right, before we move on, I'm happy to announce we have a brand new partner this month, AG1, the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. Let me tell you, once I turned 40, I started to fall apart. So I was literally trying everything to help me hold it together. But I was getting tired of taking so many supplements and I wanted a single solution that supports my entire body and covers my nutritional bases every day. I wanted better gut health, a boost in energy and immune system support. But I hated taking vitamins every single day and I wanted a supplement that actually tasted great. And that's when I discovered AG1. I've started drinking AG1 every morning before starting my day and it genuinely feels like I'm doing something good for my body, especially as a gamer trying to be more active. It feels like I'm finally giving my body the nutrition it craves. Plus, I found it difficult trying to keep up with other routines due to them having several different products involved. But AG1 replaces your multivitamin, probiotic, and more in one simple drinkable habit. Since I've been drinking AG1, I've noticed an overall feeling of health. I'm no longer too exhausted after work to play with my daughter or help her with her homework. AG1's helped boost my energy, help my focus and mental clarity, and even help improve my digestion. And that's all due to its science-driven formulation of vitamins, probiotics, and whole food source nutrients. AG1 helps you build your health foundation first. Why take a bunch of different things when you can just mix one scoop of powder in water once a day? AG1 was designed with ease in mind so you can live healthier and better without having to complicate your routine. And what I love about AG1 is that it's delivered to me every month, so it's been super easy to make it a daily habit. I also get the single serving AG1 travel packs, so I never have to miss a day. I just mix the powder into ice cold water and drink it first thing every morning, and that's it. With AG1, taking good care of your body every day is really that simple. If you want to take ownership of your health, try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is head over to drinkag1.com slash nerdshow. Once again, to get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase, all you have to do is go to drinkag1.com slash nerdshow. That's drinkag1.com slash nerdshow and check it out. And now it's time for Christian's Corner. All right, so this week in gaming, we got to see the THQ Nordic Showcase, which I just watched, and after the 30 minutes, I just kind of felt like there was just nothing really there for me. Um, even its big hit game, you know, Alone in the Dark, didn't really show off much, as it basically just gave us some really well-rendered versions of David Harbour and Jody Cormer, who are going to be in the game, just kind of standing, doing monologues, alone, 
in the dark. Like I get what they're doing, but it doesn't really do anything to really hype the game experience. Um, even the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles last Ronin announcement fell kind of flat for me as rumors had already you know, been coming out about this game possibly being in development and being worked on. So just getting an announcement trailer where it's four candles and three of them get blown out and there's no voiceover, nothing else to it. Uh, that doesn't do anything for me. That doesn't get me excited for your game. I know it's going to be the same people that worked on um, Destroy All Humans, but so far, based off that trailer, it feels like they're definitely taking a more serious approach with this game, which it's a very serious storyline in the comics, so I would hope that they would take it seriously. But like, this event just didn't warrant the live stream treatment, if I do say so myself. Uh, I feel like they designed these prepackaged events, you know, to make it feel as big as possible. But if it's only going to be 15 to 20 minutes of teaser trailers, then just drop it as a video on YouTube. You know, don't hype it up like it's a E3 press conference here. Also, can we stop, for the love of God, doing all these fucking logo shots between the trailers? PlayStation and THQ both are still doing this at their events and it's just getting so obnoxious. I was so happy when Xbox kind of limited their logo use during this year's summer of gaming event. But to go from, you know, a mediocre trailer to then 30 seconds of the THQ logo dissolving into dust, I, I, it doesn't do shit for me. And again, this is all pre-recorded, predetermined, all put together shit. So why do I need this long ass buffer between every fucking trailer? Anyway, the games that actually did catch my attention, um, there was about two, really. Uh, the new South Park 3D co-op game, um, which I think will be kind of perfect for me and Victor to stream someday, as we both were like South Park kids growing up. Uh, Victor is my friend, for those who don't know, and we often do streams together um, on Twitch. But the game looks like, you know, this all-out 3D warfare. They're still wearing their fantasy getup it seems but maybe you can get different costumes who knows i feel like you know a 3d game experience will you know they'll probably throw in as many easter eggs and potentially use as many assets and designs from their previous games as well um i was a fan of the previous designs being 2d and you know looking just like the show i don't need a 3d game in general but i am excited to see what they'll do what tricks they'll put in what kind of easter eggs would be a part of this as they have had some fun games in the past so I'm gonna I'm cut them some slack here. Um, the other one, which is something I'm probably never actually gonna play, but it was Recreation. Um, it's another kind of track building game, and I'm kind of a, you know, a fan of building tracks and stuff like that in other games. You know, this feels like, you know, the perfect evolution of everything that we've seen out of Track Mania. You know, something simple and dumb to just, you know, fuck around with your friends every once in a while, just building random tracks and seeing if your friends can get through them. But really, it was that was it for me. Um, there wasn't that much else at the event that made me excited. Like every game that felt like it was supposed to be a big hit just looked uh, very questionable. Like Outcast, a new beginning. Um, I, it just looks like a hodgepodge of different games that, and its style just doesn't like match up to me. Like those menus were some of the flattest looking menus I've seen in a game in a long time. And I was just very confused by all of that. And then Trin 5's trailer, um, A Clockwork Conspiracy. God, was that the, you know, the lamest style trailer that they put out. Every, every studio does this at least once where they try and get as many diverse, you know, people that they can, all different age groups to sit together and play a game. And it just looks so forced and stupid every single time. 
it doesn't it does barely anything to actually show your game which is kind of the main point of an event like this show off your fucking game but yeah it, you know someone like you could be playing this game is all that they're showing um and it it doesn't make me excited to play your game. But with this bad event aside, um, more gaming events are coming on the horizon. We have Gamescom at the end of the month, which is always a big one. And we're definitely gonna try and be live on the opening night ceremony uh, where they usually do some new trailers and such like that there. I think that's hosted by Jeff Keighley usually every year. So make sure to stop by our Twitch and catch some live reactions from that. Um, speaking of streaming in general, uh, this past weekend, we got to do a couple hours in Boulder's Gate, which is a game we've been watching be developed over the last three years. Um, I know when I originally tried to stream the alpha many years ago, uh, back when that was officially like released, uh, it just wasn't gonna work well with my computer. Uh, luckily the full release has, and the game is everything that, you know, the hype has been saying it is. Um, if you ever thought of what you know D and D would feel like in a video game, well, this is it, and it's glorious. On top of that, they had a great launch with zero bullshit. I mean, this isn't half a game with updates and DLC on the horizon coming out. You know, promising to flesh it out. It's a full experience with more content and freedom of choice for its player than I've seen in a long time. You know, me, I, I die a lot in games and I was trying different things every time I came back to life. And I ended up killing, you know, some of people's like favorite fucking companion and having an entirely different story because of that, because now I have a trinket of hers that she was hiding on her person. And it's caused a lot of different story elements to happen to my character now because of it. It's just wild the amount of choices you could make and the amount of things that helps affect your world while you're playing it. And the amount of content and time that had to have been put into that to make that, you know, and the experience that it is. I mean, it seems like other studios, and we've been getting like reports from other, you know, companies and stuff like that, that these major studios are terrified by this game because it's giving the players everything that they asked for and then a whole lot more. I mean, if you're not sure if this is the type of game for you, it is an RPG, it's, it's turn-style combat and it's, um, you know, over-top view when it's not in cutscenes. But if that doesn't sound like something for you, make sure to come by the, our Twitch channel and check out my playthrough of it so far. Um, you can either catch the bods or catch me when I'm live and see maybe if this is something that you would be willing to try out. Though, you know, most people already are trying it out as it, the hype is really, you know, circulating this game around. Um, I think it's the most pre-ordered game on PS5 right now, which is absolutely insane for such an indie developer to get this much hype and this much, you know, success out of their ex experience. And this should be the paradigm shift that the gaming industry needs. But it is a hundred plus hour game, so we will be, you know, in and out of it because there's a couple games, you know, Starfield and more are coming out in September and October that we're definitely gonna be hopping into and spending a little bit more time on. So this will probably be an ongoing series going forward. Um, currently, I in the game I am playing as Dennis Reynolds from uh, Always Sunny. I'm doing Always Sunny in um, Bowler's Gate, and we are making some pretty horrible choices as we go along because um, all the characters in Always Sunny are very horrible people. So please make sure to stop by, um, follow us on Twitch to get our live notification and also make sure to check us out on social media. I'm gonna be making sure now that Twitter is kind of falling apart, I'm gonna be making sure that I post a little bit more on our Instagram and Facebook about what we're playing that weekend and when we're going live. But if you do still use Twitter, um, at Amazing Nerd Live is where I post all the Twitch updates. But with that said, let's go ahead and move on to some wrestling. I'm getting real sick and tired of your weirdo, jealous ex-girlfriend vibes. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to do whatever 
all you weird, generic white people normally do in this situation. I want you to get in your car. I want you to go home. I want you to run up the stairs. I want you to slam the door to your room. I want you to jump into your bed. I want you to cry into your Hello Kitty pillow. I want you to put your headphones on. I want you to listen to some Taylor Swift. And I want you to shake it off, you bland bitch. So, Christian, I have a confession to make, man. All right, confess to me. I'm a collider. I think I'm a collider. I've been just enjoying collision so much more than dynamite, like week after week. I, I don't know. I, I, <laughs> I think I'm labeling myself a collider for now on. Um, how do you feel about it? Like, I, I mean, are you enjoying the show? Like, is it just I'm enjoying me? enjoying the show. I think I feel like there's more of a focus on it right now because as far as you know dynamite's right been lately it feels like dynamite's almost like just thrown together last minute compared to collision i don't know like i feel like dynamite's been like that for quite a while like even before collision debuted um i think just as a program in general um it's just so much more of a like tighter product like you know like it there's no fat to it um you know it, it all revolves around wrestling you know and the matches themselves um you know we're not like constantly you know running from like point a to point b to point c like you know there's a flow to collision where there's this like manic just you know fly by the seat of your pants energy to dynamite um, where it just feels like, you know, it's a runaway train that, you know, Tony Khan is just trying to like keep on the tracks. Um, but so I, I don't know. It, it's just like collisions, just kind of like this, like breath of fresh air. Um, I think that's what I'm enjoying about it. Like it's such a like juxtaposition to dynamite, um, you know, on a weekly basis, at least for right now. Um, but We'll get more into it. Uh, this week on Collision, we had FTR facing off against uh, Big Bill and uh, Brian Cage uh, in another great title defense. Um, I love seeing FTR going up against, you know, different styles of wrestlers. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Cage and Bill are literally the biggest guys on the roster. So seeing FTR trying to, like, change up their game plan to take on these two like behemoths i thought was you know rather fun um you know they wrestled a really smart match but at the same time i felt like they did a great job of putting over you know cage and bill so um i hope you know they stick together as a tag team for quite a while like i don't want this to be kind of like something that goes to the wayside i know they're both in like different factions kind of with Bill hanging out with um, Moriarty still, and then I, uh, Cage is still with the Mogul Embassy. So, um, but I don't know. It, it feels like, you know, Tony Khan just kind of like fell into something. So I hope he, you know, goes with it um, because I, I feel like there's something there, you know, with the team. Yeah, I, I thought it was cool to see them going up against such a big power because I can't remember the last time I saw FTR 
FTR in a match with like such big powerhouses in general. Well, and AEW but, doesn't really have any like yeah, big powerhouses really. besides like, you know, Hobbs, obviously, and then, you know, Bill and Cage. Those are three of the biggest guys on the roster. So I think that's what, you know, made this match stand out as something different. It makes the team stand out. Mm-hmm. A part of me still wants like the mogul embassy and whatever's going on with bill and the rest of them uh to just kind of fold those teams and put everyone in bullet club because <laughs> i would really like to see bill um in bullet club i feel like he, i, I want to see him in more matches um he's been doing such a fantastic job in aew so i've been i've been excited to see him every time he's out so uh i could see big bill being part of the bullet club i mean he definitely has the swagger um he'd be a great heater for the team but mm. if you have bill part of you know the faction do you really need brian cage also to be part of the faction they kind of you know both do the same thing if you will especially in a group like that um you know i mean i don't think you need two heaters uh but i mean i wouldn't be opposed to it i guess um swerve is a definite though like i'd love to see swerve you know part of that group um i i feel like he's a perfect fit so um but yeah i mean there's a lot of weird factions running around that yeah. definitely feel like they could be kind of like condensed <laughs> if they want to um you know if tony wants to like i mean does the firm even exist anymore were they disbanded no, i think they're disbanded okay i there's I mean, a lot of weird out groups. together, so I don't know. Yeah, there's a lot of weird groups in AEW like that, though. Uh-huh. That just, it feels like Tony Khan could condense some of these groups and just, I don't know. You got, like, QTV or whatever. Like, yeah. I don't, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I, I really did enjoy the match, and I do hope that, you know, Bill and Brian Cage stay a team for, you know, a long time to come uh but anyway afterwards we had ftr make a challenge to the young bucks for all in at wembley um this match was rumored for quite a while uh i'm looking forward to it uh i just wish we would have had maybe a little more of a story going into it and i, I really thought that was the route we we're going in because like on rampage we had the bucks uh, make the announcement that they're now going to be part of the tag division and they're going to focus once again on tag team wrestling. Uh, one of the announcers, I don't remember who, mentioned that like the Bucks have only wrestled like three tag matches in the past year. Something insane because they've been so focused on trios. Hmm. Uh, but like right away, you know, when the Bucks made the announcement, they set up a match for, uh, you know, for them to face the, the Hardy Boys. Um, so I just kind of assumed that we're going to see like the bucks go on a little run as a tag team, you know, I mean, and then like make the challenge to FTR or like run into FTR and make the challenge. Uh, But that wasn't the case. Like they made the announcement on rampage and literally the next night FTR was challenging them for Wembley. Um, It is what it is. I'm guessing, I'm guessing that time was a big factor here, Uh Um, but just everything on, you know, the the all-in card right now feels incredibly rushed. Um, so I think that's, you know, probably my biggest issue, you know, with this, you know, match. Um, otherwise, like, it's going to be a dream match. And every time that these two teams have faced off against each other, it's been a barn burner. So I, I really don't have much to complain about. Exactly. I'm like, I'm not upset by the match. I just like, even, you know, when we got to 
dynamite and the young bucks just you know don't say anything they just point at the sign just like ah, yeah i, I can yeah, use a little they just more. say all in right yeah, all in yeah. that's it yeah. i was like okay yeah it was a little weak um but it is what it is like like do something to play off the tension between the two teams like mm. at least the rumor quote-unquote tension between the two teams like you know a lot of the all-in card a lot of the matches that they've set up so far and we'll get more into it later but like there doesn't feel like there's a major issue between the opponents which kind of makes everything feel kind of thrown together um which is weird because it's not like they didn't know this was coming up on the calendar <laughs> <laughs> So I don't know if Tony's like spreading himself too thin with the two shows and everything now. Um, but uh, it just feels like there'd be more of a story going into a lot of these matches. Um, but speaking of challenges for All In, uh, later on on Collision, we had Smojo come out, completely destroy uh, Suprentico, uh, and then issue a challenge to CM Punk for a rematch at All In. Um, I think I would be okay with this if they would have set this up right after their match, um, in the Owen tournament, uh, because, you know, Punk rolls him up, he gets the win and everything like that. And then we see Joe choke Punk out. And then like next week, it's like nothing happened. Like Punk doesn't go after Joe. Punk doesn't cut a promo on Joe. Like, there's no mention of what happens after the match of, like, Joe choking out Punk. Hmm. So it just feels like they forgot about it. And then, like, they're like, oh, wait a second. We've got this storyline over here. Let's dust that off quickly (laughs) and set up a match. Um, Like, if there was some, like, follow up after that took place, I'd be okay with it. Like, I almost wish, like, they didn't even wrestle in the Owen tournament. Because this just feels like, all right, well, this is just a rematch, you know? And I know it's like, it's a legendary feud and everything, but like, you kind of took the magic away from it when you had the match already take place on collision, you know? And I, I, I don't know. Like, I, I'm the match is going to be great. Don't get me wrong. It, it's kind of like the, you know, the Bucks in uh-huh. FTR match, you know, we know in ring wise, it's going to be fantastic, but like, it just feels like it could have been so much more if they would have taken the time and properly like set up the match. It's funny because like Punk's been you know mentioning just about every person he you know, could possibly have a beef with in all of his promos, except for Joe. You know, it's like it it he's brought up you know kind of alluded to MJF. He's alluded to you know. You know, doing stuff with Ricky and Switchblade. And I I just, I I don't know why they went back to Joe when it felt like they were building towards all these other feuds. But, you know, it's fine. I'm going to love that match no matter what because it's, you know, two great talents. But it just feels a little out of nowhere. Yeah. You know, like almost a little lazy. I hate to say that. Uh, Because, like I said, I've loved Collision, but like, you know, like that match took place, what, like three weeks ago between mm-hmm. Punk and uh, Joe? And like we have a challenge issued like three weeks later. Like there's been no follow up since then, no mention of it. It's just weird. Um, so it's like they forgot about it, literally. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't get it. And maybe, you know, maybe it's a case of them not realizing they're going to have Joe. 
because originally I think he was scheduled to be on a promotional tour for Twisted Metal. Yeah. And now, you know, obviously he can't do that because of the strike. So, you know, he kind of fell in their lap and, you know, maybe Tony thought that this was the perfect match, you know, for Punk uh, at the pay-per-view. I, I don't know. It, it, it does feel a little weird, though. But moving on to someone who does not have a match yet at All In, uh, we had Chris Statlander defend her title against Mercedes Martinez. Um, I really enjoyed this match. Uh, Mercedes got like 90% of the match. And I think they did a great job of really like establishing what a badass she is, you know, once again for AEW's audience. Um, you know, the fact that like Statlander like basically squeaked by with a win. And like, I mean, Mercedes was right at the end of the match, like, you know, being pissed off, like her shoulders were clearly up. So like she has a legit beef, Um, Mm. you know, so I was excited that like it looks like the feud is going to continue. Like she starts to beat down uh, Statlander. Uh, Willow makes the save. Actually, what will actually Diamante comes out. Yes. And attempts to make it looks like she's going to make the save. But then she ends up joining in on the beatdown of Statlander. And then that brings out Willow. Uh, So and all that is to set up a tag match with Willow and Statlander facing off against uh, Martinez and Diamante. I guess there's been seeds planted for Diamante's like turn recently on ROH TV. So um, she just recently signed like a contract with AEW. I guess she's been working without a contract this entire time, which is crazy because she's been there for years. Yeah. I think there's a couple of wrestlers that have been like that lately, but well, I know their contracts are weird too. They've got like different tiers and everything. Mm-hmm. So um, but yeah, no, she has like an exclusive like contract with the AW now, which is good. I mean, she's definitely earned it. So um, I don't know if this tag match is going to end up setting up like some kind of match for Statlander at all in. I'm hoping, uh, you know, because, you know, the women's division definitely deserves to have more than just one, you know, match mm-hmm. on the card. Um, but I guess we'll have to wait and see. I mean, if there wasn't already going to be a fatal four-way for the women's division, I would assume that this tag match could turn into that. Right. You know? Yeah, I mean, honestly, like, I could see this becoming a triple threat match at All In. Um, you know, I only hope, like, that Athena actually gets some kind of match on the pay-per-view because I feel like she's the most deserving of the entire women's division to be like spotlighted. Um, you know, she's been killing it on ROH. Um, it, you know, it, it's, a, I, I still don't understand the decision to keep her over there. Um, but the women's division as a whole, it's just been such a mess. Um, mm-hmm. you know, um, and that was really highlighted this week on dynamite with the way they set up the, the pay-per-view match for the world title. Um, you know, we're going to have a four-way. There's going to be a tournament. They're saying that this four-way is in the name of, like, almost nostalgia because on All In, like, you know, the first, you know, AEW, unofficial AEW pay-per-view, there was a four-way uh, match. Um, so they're, they're, they're playing it off that way, but honestly, it's just lazy booking. Like, <laughs> you know, it's their way of getting as much of the women's division on the mm-hmm. card in one single match, you know. Um, without a story uh but you know speaking of story like this story makes no sense because we have this tournament set up where tony storm who just lost the title 
gets a bye into the championship match at All In. But Sheeta, who just won the championship, has to beat Anna Jay to get to the pay-per-view. So right then and there, it's like, okay, you've just made this way too complicated. Like, what's going on? Like, why wouldn't both of them just get a bye into the, you know, into the title match at the pay-per-view? <laughs> like, what are we doing here? And it just, like, basically shows everyone your hand that obviously you already booked the Anna J match with Sheeta before uh-huh. you came up with this idea. <laughs> and you just felt like you had to go through with it. But... Uh, you know, you could have just played it off like, oh, Sheeta's going to be in the, you know, the title match, you know, unless she loses to Anna J. That would have been fine. You know, don't show us the bracket and everything. That just overcomplicates everything. Uh, but that's what Tony likes to do. Uh, but then we have Soraya having to face off against Sky Blue. It's obvious that Soraya's going to win. It's her home country. We figured yeah. that she's going to get some kind of match at the pay-per-view. But they probably don't feel comfortable yet putting her on a, in a singles match, um, which, you know, it is what it is. But and then we also have Britt Baker, who has to face off against Bunny, who hasn't wrestled in like six months, you know, not to any fault of her own, but she's been injured. So it's kind of like, well, why the fuck is she getting this shot, you know, at the pay-per-view? It's, it's a little weird, you know, like you know, it's instances like this that makes me miss the rankings right because <laughs> it just feels very like thrown together uh, you know like there wasn't a lot of thought put into this um because it's like you know once again like why isn't ruby in this match you know or getting a shot at being in this match um you know willow and i know she's part of the tbs you know you know title picture but still like you could have had her been in one of the like the tournament matches at least I mean, she did just win the Owen tournament, and I feel like they've really not done much with her since. So, um, I don't know. Or like Athena, you know? I mean, she's a champion in your company, so it's just like, once again, like, it's another match on the all-in card that feels very thrown together. Before we get too far away from this, though, since when do any of the wrestlers get a rematch clause? Is that something that AEW is embracing now? Um, like, yeah, recently that's all of a sudden become a thing. It seems like since the rankings have gone the wayside, someone else mentioned having like a rematch clause in their contract. So, um, I don't know, whatever. Like as long as it's like like used like sparingly, and it's not like always like a definite thing. Because mm-hmm. that's what you would it. get in WWE. You'd be, yes. you'd get the title match, then you get the rematch clause the next month, and then the, the rubber match the next month. Exactly. <laughs> that's the formula for any feud in WWE. Um, and that was, you know, the one thing that made AEW feel like a true alternative is not having that kind of formulaic like storytelling happening week after week. So um, hopefully it's something they don't lean into too often. I'm just really surprised that they haven't tried to reintroduce the rankings. You know, like they haven't gone, you know, back to the drawing board, come up with a different way to do it that makes sense. Um, Because I feel like, you know, even though we bitched about the rankings in the past, I feel like the company has really suffered with the lack of like structure, you know, without them. Um, Because I just I mean, Tony's a smart guy. There's a way to go about it that would make it work. 
Mm-hmm. You know, you could set it up as like power rankings instead of this like mathematical equation where, you know, it's all about wins and losses. Like, you know, like some wins should weigh more than others. You know, if you're winning matches on dark, you know, against, you know, people who are, you know, quote unquote enhancement talent, obviously that shouldn't weigh as much as like an established name, like winning, you know, getting a victory over an established name. So, I mean, there's a way to set this up to make sense and you can explain it once and then be done with it. And then you have it in your back pocket to use to like set up these matches. Like, I don't mind like, you know, these feuds, you know, coming about like due to like actual storylines. Um, but it doesn't mean that you have to like burn everything else to the ground and get rid of, you know, something that was working for a while, like the ratings. And it was something that actually like, you know, made you feel different than the competition. Um, so I don't know. But anyway, uh, we also had CM Punk facing off against Ricky Starks. Uh, I guess Punk was defending his quote unquote real world title. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I wish they would have come out and said like this is an unsanctioned title, you know. Yeah, um, it was kind of just weird. putting quotes in yeah. the fucking title thing. I, I, someone please say that. Like even have Tony saying that, and then you could have fucking uh, you know back and forth for Punk being like, no, I am the champion, and you could possibly build something off of that. But whatever. I think that's where they're going with it. But like at least mention that like this is a title that's not recognized by AEW because it is a little confusing. So, um, you know, I I do feel like they're eventually going to get to like a title versus title match between Punk and MJF. But let's do some groundwork here, you know, you know, Mm -hmm. make it make sense at least. So because I could see someone tuning in being kind of confused, like, wait, what's what's going on? He's the champ. I thought MGF is the champion. <laughs> oh, um, you know what? Before we get too far into the match, uh, JR returned here. And I thought this was probably one of his best performances in AEW. I agree. I agree. You could definitely tell that he was excited to be back mm-hmm. uh, and he, he brought his A game. So um, I think if they use him in this capacity it would be a good thing. Like you just, you know, you keep them for the main events, you know, keep them as like a special attraction, if you will. Um, Cause that's where he really shines, you know, where he knows the story. He's excited to be there and everything like that. And, you know, he's been going through a lot health wise yes. right now. So I feel like if you keep his bump card low, you know, you can kind of keep him fresh um, throughout the year. Um, you know, travel has been a huge issue for him. So, you know, maybe keep him for like the pay-per-views or something like that or for, you know, big matches like that. You don't need him. You don't need him to travel every week. You know, if it's a championship match, then you bring in JR, you know, um, you know, I'm just happy that he's back, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, who knows career wise, like how many years left uh, he has at, you know, the commentary desk. Uh, so let's make like every, you know, match count and matter. Yeah. So, um but yeah, no, I, I thought he was a great addition. He really like enhanced the match. Uh, and from for the most part, I enjoyed the match. It was a little clunky here and there. Um, you know, both guys are very unorthodox, like in their style at times. Uh, and I still feel like Punk is working off that ring rust. So they, they don't have like the greatest chemistry in the ring. Um, you know, uh, I noticed that in the Owen match. Like mm. it, it just... 
I don't know. Like the match was fine. It was entertaining, but there's like moments where it just feels like they're not like clicking well. Um, but you know, overall, like I think they told the story that they wanted to tell. Um, they really established that Ricky is a heel here. And that's what this match really felt like they were, you know, trying to do with it. Like everything just felt so mistimed, especially like the ending of the match, uh, with everything with steamboat, um, I mean, we had the ref taking a bump, you know, steamboats on the outside as the special enforcer. Uh, Starks tries to put his feet on the ropes to get the pin, but like steamboats still outside. So it's like, why are you even trying this right now? It doesn't make any sense. I don't know if like steamboat was supposed to like get in the ring once the ref took the bump right away and just didn't. So it was just kind of missed time. So like steamboat from the outside like knocks uh Starks feet off the ropes and then like Punk rolls up Starks and has to hold them there for like 10 seconds waiting for Ricky to climb into the ring to make the count. So it just I don't know, it was just so like disjointed and off. Um afterwards, you know, we had Starks uh attacking Steamboat, grabbing his belt, whipping him in the middle of the ring um until Punk makes the save uh and chases him off. Uh, you know, it, it definitely felt like the whole match revolved around really, you know, setting up Stark as, you know, this like true blue heel. I mean, between this moment and the moment with, uh, Jushin Thunder Liger, um, I don't know if like Starks is going to, you know, go the whole like legend killer route. <laughs> <laughs> that might be fun. Uh, but I'm really enjoying what they're doing with Starks right now. I feel like they've finally got him back on track uh, and headed in the right direction. Do you I mean, do you think he'll be involved in anything at all in? I have no I idea so. where any of this is headed. Mm. <laughs> and we know I mean, we know that they've set up Punk versus Joe pretty much at this point. Um, but like for Starks, I, I don't know. Is he going to wrestle Ricky the Dragon Steamboat? Like, <laughs> is that where we're at? Because that's really, you know, like at the end of the show, that's, that's, that's uh. where it seems like we're headed. Um, I mean, Ricky is 70. He talked about, I think he had his last match this past year. Like he might've had some kind of like retirement match, like, you know, with an indie promotion or something like that. Cause originally he was supposed to be the opponent for Ric Flair in his last match. Say, yeah. And then he turned that down. But then like a couple months later, he wrestled his own final match, I believe. So, but I mean, Steamboat looked good. I mean, he's 70. Um, I'm, I'm sure he could throw a few like arm drags in there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> or, or they can just find someone else. It's fine. I don't know, man. They only got like two weeks left. So. <laughs> I mean, maybe Starks is just not on the card. Um, I hope that Steamboat gets his comeuppance somehow, though. Like, even if it's like him making a run in or something like that. Hmm. Um, I don't know. So uh, it's not it's not the way I want to, like, see a legend go out. Um, it, it feels like something WWE would do. You know, with one, oh, of their, yeah, with one of their legends. So, Over on Dynamite, we had the Jericho Appreciation Society having their mandatory meeting. And it really just became kind of a roast fest of uh, Jericho um, as each member decided to kind of quit on him. Um, Jericho eventually was uh, you know, starting to tout himself as well, saying that they wouldn't you know, be where they are without him. Which, of course, just pissed them off more. Yeah, I mean... 
in some cases it was actually true, but yes, I agree. Uh-huh. I mean, the one exception I believe is Ty Mello, who was definitely better off before Jericho. Um, you know, she was actually like, you know, competing like as a singles wrestler and everything like that before they turned her heel. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I mean, a lot of those guys have been around, are around because of Jericho, but it is what it is, especially uh, Hager. But um, uh-huh. I thought the segment was okay. Um, I liked what they were saying. I thought the writing was good or, you know, the dialogue, whatever. Um, it just, once again, felt kind of rushed. Um, I didn't like the way that the segment just kind of ended. Um, I do like the wrinkle of, like, Sammy, like, basically giving him the same speech that he gave him, like, at the end of the inner circle when he kind of broke away. Like, you know, you guys need to figure this out until then. I might be around if you need me. And that was it. And he even had the inner circle like vest on and everything like that. Um, you know, after this, you know, after the commercial break, which I thought was weird, um, you know, we had Jericho in the back being interviewed. Don Callis showed up, apologized to Jericho if he had anything to do with, you know, JAS breaking up. Um, Jericho said, actually, let's go ahead. I'm going to make my decision, uh, but let's do it next week on Dynamite. I was like, really? Like, we're going to have to wait another fucking week yes. for this? <laughs> this just felt weird. It felt like they could have, like, condensed this, like, in one segment, like, have Callus come out after, like, the, you know, the faction leaves Jericho in the ring. Um, I don't know. Uh you know, we have the rumor match against Osprey on the horizon for Jericho, um, which would tell you that either he's going to turn down Callus and then Callus is going to attack him next week, uh, or you know, he's gonna accept Callus's invite and it's just all a ruse and like, you know, Takeshta and Osprey are gonna come out and beat down Jericho, setting up that match. Um I don't know if I wanna see it. Um, I'm wondering if JAS is going to try to make the save or if they're just going to leave him high and dry. Um, I don't know. It, it definitely feels like we're headed towards a babyface Chris Jericho, though, regardless. Yeah, I have to imagine Osprey's got to show up by next week, right? To set up the match? I mean, that would be ideal. The, the problem is with Osprey, like you set up Jericho and Osprey and Jericho's supposed to be the babyface. Like that, that shit's not going to happen at all in you know you're in osprey's home country they're gonna be a hundred percent behind osprey <laughs> so it's just a weird dynamic and a weird choice um unless for some reason you know jericho does join callus and they end up jumping osprey like i i don't know no like, that that wouldn't make sense no it wouldn't right <laughs> i'm just trying to like book my way out of this because it just feels like you're going to be going against the grain and all in Maybe like, they're hoping that the heat that Callus has is enough, but it, it's not going to work. I don't think they're that naive to think that Osprey <laughs> is going to get like booed in Wembley. They can't be that naive. Um, you know, I mean, Jericho has his fans, and rightfully so. But this is going to feel like almost like a coming out party for Osprey. Like this is, you know, and this goes for most of the AEW's wrestlers. This is by far the biggest event he's going to wrestle in. Mm-hmm. So. I don't know, man. I mean, it just doesn't feel like a smart choice for him unless they're setting up a match like with like, you know, and maybe that maybe the Osprey rumors wrong. Maybe maybe they're going to have Takeshita and Jericho team up against like 
uh, Kenny and like Hangman or something, because Hangman still doesn't have a fucking match. You know, so like, where are we going there? I don't know, because unless he's going to be like a manager for the Bucks, it doesn't really seem like there's an option for him right now. Unless they're saving it for all out. I mean, Hangman's one of your biggest stars, so you feel Mm. like he has to be on the card, though, right? Uh, We, you know, we'll skip ahead a little. We had Kenny um, do a brief interview in the back. I don't know where the hell he was headed or why he was even there. (laughs) Well, I guess he's an executive, so it is what it is. Uh, He told... You know, Marvez, that he was going to have a sit down interview with JR next week, um, you know, to talk about his future and like Don Callis and Takeshita. So um, I feel like that, you know, with him mentioning Takeshita, I feel like Takeshita versus Omega isn't the route that they're going Hmm. Um, because it just feels kind of anticlimactic. Um, and I feel like they haven't had Takeshita like on screen enough to like make that match feel important. Like they started to really feature him, but like over the last month, like, you know, last time we saw him, right, was at Blood and Guts. And that was it. Like, and they didn't give like Takeshita and Omega enough of a moment, like, you know, together in the ring to make that feel like something I really want to see. They could do a like it's Kenny versus Callus and Takeshita, or Callus is just on ringside for most of the match. Oh, they do. They could do the shark cage gimmick. Well, yeah, right. Like set up something where Tony Khan has like Callus like over the ring or something. You know, they love their shark cages, right? Uh, it wasn't just like Shark Week or something. <laughs> yes, it was. It was so, very random. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know, man. It just, it just doesn't feel like a big enough match to me Uh, and i know they want it to feel that way and like they set it up to be that but they haven't Mm -hmm. followed through enough once again but that's a complaint we've had with a lot of these matches um you know that look like they're you know being set up for all in so um but yeah i mean it's it's gonna be a damn good match like like that's the thing like we can bitch about the setup and everything like that but like at the end of the day like once they actually take place that's probably all gonna go to the wayside and we're going like well that was a damn good match yeah. Um, but it still doesn't take away from the fact that like these matches would be enhanced even more so if there was something building to them, you know? Um, I don't know, man. I don't know. I, the build for this card has definitely been disappointing. I could say that. But yeah, I mean, this Dynamite definitely had a retro Raw feeling going for it. I mean, we had RVD competing. We had the Hardy Boys competing. Um, you know what? I, I will say, like, the Hardys and RVD definitely held their own. I thought mm-hmm. RVD looked great. Uh, and the Bucks, like, dragged a pretty damn good match out of the Hardy Boys. Um, but, like, Van Dam, like, once he got in the ring, it was like it was fucking 1998 all over again. <laughs> like, <laughs> he was moving well. Um, better than the last time I saw him on uh, Impact. So I was impressed. Uh, I thought, you know, Jungle Boy did a great job holding his own against him. Um, he took some of it, you know, Van Damme's stiffer offense, uh, that move on the outside, you know, that fucking leg drop, that twisting leg drop that uh, Van Damme does off the apron. Holy yeah. shit. I thought he fucking broke Jungle <laughs> Boy's back. Um, that was nasty. But yeah, um, the match itself was fine. Um, I'm glad that Jungle Boy went over with the win. Um you gotta figure that he's probably gonna wrestle against Hook at All In or All Out. That's probably what we're setting up mm-hmm. here. Um, 
I'm kind of hoping that it's an all out though pay-per-view match um just because i you know i feel like i feel like there's better matches to have on all in um but i mean they like to do four hour cards so i i mean there's gonna be time i guess Uh, (laughs) i guess speaking of which we do know that we're gonna have a zero hour because adam cole uh issued a challenge on behalf of mjf uh, (laughs) to aussie open who holds the roh tag titles um weird right this is weird yeah Um, and it would also like i feel like they're not going to win the titles but i feel like that would be a damper to not have them win before they're going into this yes massive title match main event title match on Uh the same card yeah see i feel like they're gonna win you said they're gonna win yeah i mean because you want to you know if it's zero hour uh, and you're trying to get people to order the pay-per-view either it's got to be one or two things right either they win and you go out on a high note and you get people like holy shit they won the tag titles what does this mean like where's this match headed um you know and that's how you hook them to you know order the pay-per-view or you have dissension take place um and you know the team implodes and that's your hook you know to order the pay-per-view it's got to be one or two things so um I feel like it's going to be them winning those ti- those titles. So we'll see. Because if things do get heated in the match, you have the fact that these guys are actually like co-tag team champions together, like, you know, mm-hmm. looming over everything. So um, it's still weird, though. Like, what? What? I was like, wait, that's happening? Like, because I figured we we're going to see another tag match with those two. I just I just assumed it was going to be against the kingdom, um, which we did see come out during this segment. Uh, but before we get into the segment, you know, the in-ring segment, what did you think of the uh, trampoline park vignette we got before? it? I don't know. They're a little too ridiculous at points, you know, <laughs> like I, I understand it's all fake, but it's like, it's, it's too much at times when I, it's like him throwing at the kids. I was fine with it. I thought it was poorly edited though. Yes. Like, if they would have, like, shot the dodgeball segment like Billy Madison and had, like, MGF just slaughtering these kids, I think I would have been okay with it. But it was so fake-looking that it took me out of the segment, if that makes any sense. Because it was like they're moving in slow motion. You know, you could tell that the ball wasn't really hitting the kids hard. Where there's a way to cut that and speed it up to make it look like, you you know, you're murdering these children. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Like they get the like the final shot of the one kid laying on the ground with his tongue hanging out. I was like, okay, that's a little too much, guys. Um, but otherwise, I don't know. It, it was fine with me. I did like the utter like orgasmic joy that Adam Cole was having on the trampoline. I, I did I did find that <laughs> enjoyable. So, <laughs> but with that being said, like I loved everything that happened in in the ring. Um, you know, uh, MJF getting excited when he thinks that uh, Adam Cole wants to have a promo battle. With him. <laughs> <laughs> and then he mentions Cole being so skinny and white that uh, Hogan would have tried to snort him in the 80s. <laughs> yes, that's a fucking great line. Holy shit. Um, but, yeah, uh, you know, I mean, they've got great chemistry. I still don't want to see the team break up um, at this point. Like, it's got to be Cole turning on MGF. It's got to be like, it doesn't make any sense. Like everything that 
MJF is doing, it can't be all part of some like maniacal master plan. You know, the fact that he accepted a pre-show match on the pay-per-view to wrestle twice, it it would make no sense. So, you know, like MJF is a legit babyface right now, which is just crazy to say. Oh yeah, like if you said that at the beginning of the year, I would have you know laughed in your face that he was going to have a babyface turn this year. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. Uh, what's it called? What was I going to say? I don't know how they go about it in a way that you know, like I don't know if he if like Adam Cole is going to be using the kingdom to do this to really you know bring this home because we have roger strong come out on the ramp and you know start complaining about like why haven't you come you know back to me you know you're you're putting him above us you know we should be the team i'm the ring of honor legend here i thought that was a good line i I always forget about that and he's coming (laughs) off as a complete psychopath though Uh at this point so (laughs) i mean the whole line about uh going home and listening to taylor swift you you bland (laughs) bitch like that was that was amazing um, and then the kingdom coming out and consoling strong. I mean, so if anything, you know, it looks like they're going to be a faction now, I'm guessing. Um, I like this character for strong. It's something different that we haven't seen, uh, mm-hmm. for him. It's something, you know, cause I mean, I gotta agree with MJF. I mean, strong is a little bland. So this is definitely a different like wrinkle for that character, which I'm enjoying. Yeah. But is Cole working with them or not you know <laughs> well after the back and forth was strong cole gets in mjf's face pushes him mjf like kind of bows up he, he's pissed off but you could tell he's like you know fighting that urge to clock uh cole and then cole apologizes but he still goes in the back to you know talk to the kingdom mm-hmm. and strong so i don't know I don't know. I mean, this could be a case where both guys are both baby faces and their friendship is actually legit. Um, you know, d- eventually do cracks form and they end up breaking up probably. But if AEW wants to keep this going for a while and cuz right now it is definitely the hottest thing that they've got on, you know, either program, um this might be their way of stretching things out. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if all in ends with, you know, us having more questions than answers. Um, you know, where, you know, we have, you know, one person victorious, but we don't know exactly what that means for their friendship moving forward. But that's pretty much most of the highlights. I know we didn't talk about the BCC and the Lucha Brothers. Uh, my guess is that's going to end up you know, the BCC is probably going to end up facing off against like Orange Cassidy and like the best friends and like a trios match of some mm. sort. Um, or like Eddie Kingston is going to return and we're going to see him get involved in this kind of like gang warfare that we've got going on right now. Um, but, you know, it, it definitely feels like they're treading water right now. And maybe part of that is waiting for Kingston return. I know that the G1, at least for him, just ended. So he should be on his way back. Um, but I don't know. Like, I haven't been that invested in like the angle for Moxley, um, so far, you know, in the group. 
But briefly, we also did have Sting and Darby come out and issue a challenge to uh, Swerve and uh, AR Fox uh, for all. It looks like we're going to have another like staple Sting party match on the pay per view. Uh-huh. So hopefully he doesn't jump off anything too high, you know. <laughs> They got that giant arch in uh, Wembley, man. Oh, God. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now that you say that, I can see him like bungeeing. Like, oh, uh-huh. crazy. Uh, so I mean, last time he hurt himself, though. So uh-huh. that's why he's been out for like the past month and a half. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I think we kind of saw that match happening. I'm sure Nick Wayne will somehow get involved. Um, yeah, I mean. The card's shaping up, I will say that, and you can at least see, like, for the rest of the matches, where they're probably headed. It's just, like, we're running out of time, guys, mm-hmm. you know? And I just, I just, I don't understand it. Like, once again, like, it's not like this card snuck up on you, right? <laughs> you sold fucking 80,000 tickets for this fucking event. I would hope that you had some kind of plan in place beforehand, uh, but... For some reason, I don't know, all this just feels rushed and, like, thrown together last minute. I, I don't get it. My only concern is, like, Tony's just, like, spread himself too thin, you know, between the two shows. Um, but, I mean, supposedly he's put together a group of people around him to help him out. But with that being said, I feel like this is the worst it's ever been, like, leading into a pay-per-view. Well, that does it for this. As a friendly reminder, make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're there, leave a five star review. It really helps new listeners to find the podcast and for us to continue to grow. Also, if you like the stories from this week's episode and want to keep up to date with the show, follow us on social media at Amazing Nerd Show or stop by TheAmazingNerdShow.com. And hey, to support the show further and get additional weekly content, you can subscribe to us now on Patreon. Just follow the link in the show notes. Also, if you want to rep some nerd show swag, you can head over to tpublic.com to find t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional nerd show swag as long as you live in the United States. All right, make sure to join us next week as we talk all the latest news and rumors in nerd culture and whatever's going on in the world of wrestling. My name's Christian. And my name's David. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show. I brought back some takeout. So, like, let's get down and pig out. It's Shredder. Yeah.